The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. Five minutes after eight, and thanks for tuning in. An urgent call has been made for a comprehensive approach to supporting the youth as they transition into adulthood. Now, the South African Child Gauge 2015 was released yesterday by the Children's Institute at the University of Cape Town, and the focus was on the situation of young people aged between 15 and 24. It highlighted, amongst others, the need for a range of interventions that continue to support children as they transition into to the uh, crucial developmental stages of adolescence and young adulthood. The majority of young people in South Africa remain trapped in the continuing uh, inequality cycle, and this could continue to the next generation if children of this country do not, in, if, if the country rather does not invest in the youth today. So on the Forum at 8 this morning, we ask, do you have any suggestions as to what should be done to put an end to deprivation and break this cycle? 34701, that's our SMS line number. You can also call in right now on 0891-104208. Tweet or uh, Facebook us at AM Live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo. And joining us for the conversation this morning we have Ariane Delanoy who is a senior researcher for the Poverty and Inequality Initiative at the University of Cape Town. Uh, she's in our Cape uh, Town Seapoint studios. Thanks for speaking to us. Pleasure. Good morning. Uh, thanks for your time and uh, also Professor Murray Leibrand who is a Vice Chancellor for the Poverty and Inequality Initiative at the University of Cape Town. Thanks for your time as well, Prof. It's a pleasure. Now, um, Ariane, if I could perhaps start with you by just explaining to us, you know, uh, first and foremost, so we can have an understanding of uh, the South African Child Gauge and what it actually uh, stands for and the sort of information that we can divide, uh, uh, derive from this. Sure. The South African Child Gauge is an annual publication uh, by the Children's Institute at the University of Cape Town. It tracks over an extended period of time. It has this, this is in fact the 10th issue of the Child Gauge, and it tracks the situation of children in the country. Um, every year it zooms in on a particular issue. So last year um, it looked at violence, for example, and how to break the cycle of violence. This year we thought it was really uh, an opportune moment to look at the situation of young people. So to to look slightly beyond those early stages of childhood and to look at what happens when young people, when children become adolescents and then young people after that. So uh, what were uh, some of the more significant finds here? Well, I think one of the most significant findings is that we, we have a, a fairly large youth population in South Africa at the moment. We have about 20% of our um, population aged between 15 to 24. Um, and so, in essence, that group could be an asset to the country that could help grow um, the economy. <clears throat> but what we see is that almost 60% of young people continue to live in poverty in households with an income of um, under 620 rand per person per month. And looking at uh, the sort of uh, the crisis that the world and South Africa in particular faces, Professor Leibrand, um, reducing poverty is seen as one of those. So how do we separate, you know, the youth and uh, how poverty impacts on them from the broader picture? Well, we can't. And I don't think we want to because um, the, the youth are, as Ariane was just saying, they are the new South Africa. There's a bulk of the population. Uh, this is the generation coming into the labor market. This is the generation going through secondary schooling. Um, this is the, these are the people that we, we talk about, and these are the people that are experiencing uh, South Africa in all of its textures. They're experiencing the financial crisis. They're experiencing uh, our hardships. They're experiencing good government interventions, you know, over the post-apartheid period. So uh, I think the international environment constrains some of our options. You know, our low growth rate is really important to the youth, but we don't want to to separate out um, the youth from all of that. I, I think one of the benefits of the child age is to show that a focus on youth is an excellent way to make sure that the policy discussions in South Africa are grounded in in our people.
I mean, just looking at what the World Bank said last year, uh, they gave South Africa quite a good report. And it said that uh, due to South Africa's slightly progressive tax system and highly progressive government spending, around 3.6 million people were lifted out of poverty. So... Again, you know, looking at that and the current situation economically that we are faced with, uh, what do you think could be done better or what more could the government do in order to try and alleviate this plight um, when we look at the youth in particular, Prof? Yes, so that's a great question and it goes to the heart of the gauge, really, because uh, what, what that World Bank study showed was that the allocation of, of expenditures in post-apartheid South Africa have been pro-poor or strongly redistributive in a sense that we, we are putting a lot of money into education and health and, and some infrastructure um, housing. Um, but the, the challenge we face is what, what benefits people really get from that. <clears throat> So whilst the international environment, uh, whilst the World Bank report uh, is flagging the fact that we've, we've oriented our policies in the right direction, we all know through discussions on education and health that what people actually experience and the benefits they get and the help that they get in being active citizens in this country uh, are limited. There's lots of work to be done in each of these spheres. And we all have work. The way our communities function are not empowering of the youth. Uh, There's a fantastic part to the gauge that's actually a youth initiative where youth told us, the country, what they think, uh, what they want from people, what they want from the clinics, what they want from their parents. Uh, And it's all hands on deck. So there's, there's lots we can do. This isn't a moment of, of passivity. The, the youth are, are saying, we're not passive, we're very active. Can you please get on board? As the clinic worker, as my teacher, you can be such an agent for good uh, or not. And, mm. and so let's harmonize. In your intro, you mentioned the fact that a key message coming out of the gauge was, was the need to, to have an integrated perspective. Uh, following South African citizens through their life, if you like, and supporting them and, and, and empowering them to be full citizens, active and engaged citizens. So that's what we can do, and it's all of us. And, and, and we saw the youth uh, really, you know, taking up that battle and, uh, you know, wearing that mantle with uh, aplomb, some would say, this year, because they've come out, they've taken center stage, they've made their voices heard. Um, but are we listening, um, uh, Ariane? Are we really listening to what young people are saying? For as Prof was saying, you know, they, they have told us exactly what they think could be done better. But do you find that we are listening to them? Well, I think perhaps we are starting to listen more carefully um, after the way in which they have, as you said, tried to make their voices heard, especially this year. I think it's taken society quite a while um, to listen to that plight of young people and to to understand that they are not just passively sitting back. Last year, um, around the time of the national elections, a lot of the questions were around why this born-free generation wasn't coming to the voting uh, stations, why, why they weren't registering to vote. Um, and already then, when we were actually listening to young people, what they were saying was, or what at least quite a few of them were saying was, well, we don't know what option would give us a better position in life. So we don't quite know why we would go and vote. Um, today, what they are saying is we, we have very high aspirations. We want to create better lives for ourselves, but we really do need um, the quality of the services that are in place um, to help us and to support us better to create those kinds of lives we need. Well, we are talking about uh, deprivation this morning, especially as it pertains to South Africa's youth. Uh, young people under the age of 25 make up nearly half of the country's population. And this morning we are asking you, what should be done to put an end to this deprivation? And um, the lines are open, 891 We are speaking this morning to Professor Murray Leibrand, as well as Ariane Delanoy, and uh, taking your views on this particular matter. But when we look at some of the key elements uh, that could be employed to break the cycle of poverty, Professor, uh, what are some of the things that we should prioritize? Uh, so the, the youth perspective 
is very useful in in emphasizing the fact that uh, that the cycle of poverty has building blocks. There's, there's certain things that reproduce poverty, uh, and obviously it starts really early with early childhood development and and uh, good primary schooling, and that's really foundational in a sense. It's almost a right of citizenship. So it's hard to talk about a youth strategy without affirming the, the importance of getting the foundation stones correct. But if you think about what youth are, it, it is a very transitionary uh, moment for them. Um, and, and so obviously coming into high school, uh, we want well-educated, well-grounded youth coming into high school. But then within high school, that's the key moment uh, in a young person's life in, in which they, they shape their values, they, they take their stance on their future, and they prepare educationally for their future. So the whole discussion about the switch, uh, you know, do you want to channel your life towards um, basic education and training, or are you headed for university? Um, a, a lot of that is about a good schooling, but, but not just in the sense of teachers being in the classroom. It's about understanding what that means, um, what it means to go into further education and training as a young South African, to, to head towards being an artisan, say, or a technical uh, design person, or an entrepreneur. Um, versus a standard academic route. You know, the, the way high schools work right now, everybody's chugging through and, and the goal is matric. Um, but that's not adequately preparing youth for their options because uh, that's not option directed. Where, where are we going? Uh, I'm not saying people don't need matric. Um, and, but if you, for example, let's consider the university students. If you're going on to university, uh, in for, for the better off South Africans in good schools, come grade 11, there's extensive support in making that choice. What are the options? What are the colleges? How do you apply to universities? Many universities have entry tests, uh, etc. And they nurtured through that. These are the better uh, schools, better educated kids. If you go into the, the schools in our townships, there's no such support at that absolutely crucial moment where you're exercising your choices. There's no information about the choices and there's no help. It's quite an arduous process. It's very complicated. Now you miss that moment and you foreclosed on a whole lot of opportunities that have got nothing to do with the potential of that, that person. So just looking at that, obviously, um, uh, one of the things that came out of the gauge, um, um, uh, Ariane, was that you were suggesting that we need policy reform in order to address what Professor was just talking about. I think we need policy to think, or policymakers to think very carefully about the comprehensive package of support that is put in place. So, as uh, Professor Lebrant was saying, we, we have a lot of these services, right? The access to education is there, and the access to public health care is there. It is also, however, about the quality of those services. And so, I think policymakers need to um, listen carefully to what it is young people are telling them that they need within those different services to enable them and to empower them. So I think it is it is time for policy to take a step back, and in fact not only for policy but literally for all stakeholders in society, to take a step back and think, well, we have these services now. How do we start to improve them? How do we put in place exactly those interventions that are going to provide young people um, w with the support they need to better their outcomes and to give them um, greater opportunities. And that's a critical point. Uh, did young people have any ideas on how that could be achieved? Because access is one thing, but quality is a, a different thing altogether. Well, their message to the stakeholders in their lives was really quite clear. And as uh, Professor Libran said earlier, it really was a call to action for everyone in their lives to, to, to stick together, um, for their parents, communities, teachers, but also school management um, and government to, to figure out how to get the educational system to work, how to hold people accountable um, to actually delivering quality education, and for businesses, too, to come to the table. Businesses are the, the ones waiting for young people with the right levels of skill but what young people are saying is well but please come and talk to us tell us what it is you need and then help us find the right route that we need
And, and and that's one of the contentious issues, uh, Professor, because when business says, you know, we are waiting for people with the right skill set to come and knock on our door, what is the role that they are meant to play in ensuring that our education system actually produces the type of graduates that are ready to go into the workplace? Well, uh if you listen carefully to business, it's not such a, a destructive point as it sounds because uh, business recognizes that there's job-specific issues that need to be coped with that can't be taught in school. So it's not a call that, that uh, universities or technicons, uh, universities of technology or TVET systems um, uh, tailor their, their curricula very specifically. It's, it's more that, that youth do have the capacities and capabilities to be trainable in specific jobs. They, they do need to be numerate uh, and, um, and they do need to be able to analyze situations and write. Uh, and so, so that, I think that's quite a it's, it's a bedrock challenge to the education system, but there's no point in education if you're not ensuring those basic things. Um, Which costs uh, money. And that's, uh, the, you know, the access to quality education that seems yes. to be a problem. That's right. But if you're focused on, on what the... Uh, I guess my point is, if you're focused on what the key deliverables are, what the key empowering factors are, in terms of basic education, right? So the ministry is called the Department of Basic Education and and primary and secondary schooling are basic education. Now, uh, it costs money, but how do you spend that money? Uh, if you're very clear on what the, what the requirements are, what the bedrock requirements are for people coming out of the education system, what, a grade 10, for example, we need to know exactly what that means. I, I think that's the key juncture where I'm talking about this um, right of citizenship almost, that young people, what do they have to have in order to participate actively as citizens in this country? Whether they become entrepreneurs or whether they uh, aspire to a job, um, it's, it's got to be numeracy, literacy, the ability to, to write, the ability to engage with society effectively. Uh, now, matric probably has something on top of that. Um, what the, the employers also want, have also been very clear that, that they need a, a package, a knowledge about the labor market. This entry into the labor market, it's assumed to be seamless, right? You, you finish matric, okay, now I'm going to go and apply for a job. It's a very daunting and very threatening moment, one of these transition moments. Um, what is this labor market? What does it need? Uh, how do you need to behave? So employers talk about so-called soft skills, motivation, uh, uh, discipline, approach to work, respect in your interactions with people. Uh, these, these things are, are, of course, education has a key role to play. Uh, one, the youth were very clear about the, the interactions in the classroom are part of the demonstration of what all of that means. Uh, but there are many initiatives in South Africa on the transition from school to work that focus on these soft skills around getting a CV together. A CV is not just a piece of paper. It tells what you are and what you're offering somebody and what you think you want to be. Now, if you think about it like that, uh, the employers are saying that makes a huge difference to them. They can work out whether there's a good match between what they want as, with this person not just their education and uh, and the person. Well, uh, if you've just joined in, uh, we are looking at uh, the South African uh, Child Gauge, uh, the 2015 this morning, and uh, just looking at what it states. You know, many experience uh, young people uh, experience deprivation in several areas of their lives. Um, at the same time, those who live in households with high unemployment are also likely to be um, of low levels, uh, to have low levels of education, poor health, and limited access to housing and basic services. So. Um, at the risk of failing this generation, we're asking this morning, what should be done to end this deprivation? And perhaps young people, um, as the gauge also um, engaged you, tell us what it is that you think can be done to end the cycle of deprivation. 891 let us go to Durban and hear what Admire has to say. Good morning. 
Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I just want to raise um, three um, uh, critical points. I think one, um, we would love to ask, you know, um, if the young people were ever engaged when um, 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 the educational department decided you know, to lower the, the, um, uh, the pass rate to 30%. That's one. And also, here's, you know, government officials, especially the one in the justice system, to come and just be, um, be on panel like, uh, like here these guys here and explain to the nation why our constitution is not being taught in school. Because, it, like, um, I like what, what, what your other guest is saying, that, that, you know, if you don't empower people at the basic, like primary school and all that stuff, and if people don't really, really know what the constitution says and our rights and stuff, we will not really, really be able to uh, minor, to get into anything. And also, thirdly, our education our system here, it goes from, uh, from grade one up to metric. I think, I think it was going to be wise for, for, for this environment, the generation which we have here, to have a break before you know your metric. Have another qualification which really, really great people. Like you, I'm, I'm, I'm originally from Zim. Um, uh, you know, and, and we, we have a level in education which is for all level. It's like two years uh, before you know you can do your A levels. It also gives you a perspective of where you really, really are as as an individual. So all those things, I really, really think there are things that most critically get their um, uh, the government officials to explain to why us why why is the, the constitution not being taught in schools? Because when it's only when people really, really understand and know their rights. But I feel that these things will change. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Admire. Kolani uh, in Fountain Lakes, good morning. Hi. I think agriculture is one of the answers to your question. Until we reintroduce agriculture at schools, like some of us in the 90s, we were doing agriculture. It taught us how to plant and how to work in our gardens. To, I'm talking from the context of alleviating the issue of poverty. And it also gives us the opportunity to learn more about agriculture. We've got an elderly group that is in their late 70s that are still keen in agriculture, that is in the farming and all that. There's a huge gap now, and we do not have enough people that are interested in working in the farms and whether it's to the animals or to plants. So we need the introduction of agriculture back in our schools. But the Department of Education failed when I sent them a question uh, to answer me why it is not there like it was before. They told me some, some things that they, the people will make their own choice after grade 12 to do agriculture. Well, thank you, Tolani and Fountain Lakes. Going back to Durban, Musa, good morning. Sakina and the team. One of the most important things I'm, I'm learning in my, um, in my mid-30s is um, the importance of being able to apply knowledge learned. The, the, the fundamental flaw uh, of our education system, it doesn't encourage application, it encourages people to pass. Will this be in the exam? How many marks will I get for it? It's not about the application, it's it's demonstration of uh, something else, which does not assist in the general lifestyle and people uh, being able to achieve in life in, in general. So some of the things we might need to go back and revisit. How do we, how do we uh, change our education, or, or not say change, uh, maybe uh, beef up our education system to, to enable people to apply what they learn and to teach people to apply what they learn instead of just passing as, as a prerequisite and an important thing. Thank you. Well, uh, thank you, Musa, there in Durban. Tulani A. says, Many of us youth are educated and want to start a business, yet we lack the required experience and collateral. Cancel that and we'll thrive. Samgelo says, Would it be wrong for labor to take graduates and show them the ropes and jobs before experience? Quality education is the answer. So we'll try and get an answer, response to that and see, you know, whether the these are also some of the issues that were raised uh, by the 
most uh, the, the, the young people who uh, were actually polled uh, during this Childgate 2015. So our focus today on the Forum of Data is taking a look at the Childgate 2015 and it tracks the status of youth and children and we are talking about some of the findings this morning and also want to hear from you what it would take, uh, what we should do in order to put an end to deprivation because that seems to be at the heart of scuppering the hopes of young people. And uh, just to reiterate, uh, in case you've forgotten, 25, um, uh, at least um, young people under the age of 25 make up half of South Africa's population. So uh, their plight is everybody's plight because it will impact on your life one way or another. And our guest this morning, we have uh, Professor uh, Murray Leibrand, Vice Chancellor for the Poverty and Inequality Initiative at the University of Cape Town, and Ariane Delanoy, who is a senior researcher for the Poverty and Inequality Initiative at the University of Cape Town. Ariane, let me start with you um, looking at what of our listeners, uh, what our listeners were saying there, and it seems as though everybody is agreed at this you know point, what? at least, that uh, the solution is education. Well, one of the solutions is is education, uh, and at least offering, as as we have been saying, quality education for everyone, um, and that includes start. It that that really runs across. Um, the, the course of the educational career. It starts at the foundation phase and it needs to pull through to the higher levels um, of education. But it also does mean, um, as Professor Librant was saying earlier, it, it means we need to also provide young people with alternative learning pathways. Not everyone may want to choose an academic career. Um, some may simply be more interested in technical or vocational training. And while the systems are in place, they don't necessarily, they aren't necessarily able to deliver uh, on their promises and and young people often don't know exactly what the roots are. So we also need to think about at which point during that educational career we start to engage with children about what their aspirations are, what their skills are, um, what their strengths are, and what that then means for their choices around their educational career. And Prof, uh, uh, some of the other comments was around, um, you know, knowledge, how um, our education system doesn't seem to place a premium on application of knowledge uh, that has been learned, but rather, you know, looking at people to immediately hit the ground, uh, the ground running. What's your take on that? Yes, it was a great comment and, and the comments were all insightful. Um, uh, the, the trickiness is, that's true. Of course it's true. But to some extent that comes with experience. Uh, you know, Musa was saying that we need that applied knowledge, but uh, he, he, he's only getting there in the sort of wisdom to, to do that in his 30s. Um, but uh, it, obviously one can orient one's education system towards making people apply their knowledge. And it's, it's true already in our better off schools. This is part of the inequality of our society. Our, uh, our better off schools do have quite well-grounded career guidance programs. Call it a subject, if you like, in career guidance that wraps in the things that I was saying earlier about what are your choices at what point um, and how do you really affect those with issues like an entrepreneurship project where you have to try and um, and do something, sell, sell something, uh, launch a little uh, business for two weeks, um, uh, internship programs are part of these career guidance things. Now, many of the comments coming in were about the need for that texture in, in your schooling so that it can augment, along with your maths and your science and your history, um, you, you have a subject that's, that's making you apply it and bridging this, this terrifying gap into the world outside of school, into the labor market, um, and it's not so terrifying. That's the thing. We, we do have initiatives that try and do this in South Africa. And what you find uh, is that people from disadvantaged communities, disadvantaged schools, find that they have certain skills, skills that sometimes are required for their survival, navigating safe areas, not safe areas, etc., uh, that are amazing uh, decision-making skills when they're applied in the context of of a business or, um, uh, you, you know, or they know how to make a key decision, whereas mm -hmm. people, you know, et cetera. So you can, you, can leave, you can affirm people and what they've got 
in the con but you do need a structure and maybe a career guidance a platform is what we need mm, because that career guidance platform is uh, uh, virtually non-existent in exactly. uh, disadvantaged schools mm. yeah so and, and exactly and so the, so people miss these seminal moments where they just don't apply to university on time mm. at the start of matric it actually needs to happen at the end of grade 11 now you know, that's just a, a shocking break in somebody's life. You, you, you know, one of the callers was making the point about the O-levels. Mm. Uh, and, you know, somehow that was a moment in which you could find out what you were as an individual. Well, we need to twin that, that amazing thing that is in South Africa's youth uh, with the environment in which they can be helped to do that. And, and, and something that really sounds easy enough to do because, you know... Um Schools actually do have uh, that facility to provide that career guidance, just don't know why it is not being done effectively. Um, again, it wasn't done effectively in my time. It still isn't happening. So I'm not sure where the breakdown happens there. But one of the other issues uh, that I wanted to touch on um, was uh, social uh, grants. The fact that, you know, we have a huge part of the population dependent on grants from government um the last time i checked you know it was uh, at 14 15 million people could be more at this stage how does that impact on the youth and uh, what they ultimately um you know become as it were ariane well, it, it kind of depends on how you de define depending on grants and how you define youth. When you, when you look at social grants, the child support grant runs up until the age of 18, and that is to support a child. It is not a huge amount. It is simply there to support parents in their um, in their raising of their children. But the reality is, Ariane, that in some households, though, that is the only income that they have. Yes, and we do see that in households that do access social grants, the situation becomes a little bit less dire than what we see in the ones that don't access the grants. So, for example, some of our research shows that young people in households that can access grants, in fact, start to look for jobs. Um, and also that the accessibility of social grants in a household kind of breaks the intergenerational transmission of mental health problems from mothers to their children. So the grants do make a difference and they they manage to raise the, the, the poorest out of those very dire levels of even deeper poverty. Mm. And um, any ideas about uh, the extension of these grants, especially the child grants, because uh, there was talk about uh, the Department of Social Development looking at extending it up to the age of 21. Uh, were there any views expressed on that? There weren't any strong views expressed on that last night, but if you think about the situation that young people find themselves in at the moment, it is probably something um, that is that is worth considering, only it cannot be the only intervention that is put in place. It comes with this whole comprehensive package that we are talking about. It also does mean we need to then, because it will still end at some point. If, if it runs until the age of 21, it will still abruptly end right there and then, and it hasn't necessarily then change the educational situation for young people or the ability for them to connect to the labor market or start their own business. So it can never be an end in its own uh, right. It has to be accompanied by a larger package of support, uh, all of the things we have been talking about. Well, if you've just joined in this week, the University of Cape Town's Children's Institute and several organizations committed to finding effective policies against poverty and inequality, including the university's Poverty and Inequality Initiative, launched the South African Child Gauge 2015. And this is an annual publication that tracks the status of youth in children. And this morning we are asking, what do you think should be done to put an end to deprivation, which is clearly highlighted in this report? And that's what we're talking about with uh, Ariane Delanoy, who is a senior researcher for the Poverty and Inequality Initiative at the University of Cape Town, and also uh, Professor Murray Leibrand, who is a vice chancellor for the Poverty and Inequality Initiative, also from the University of Cape Town. Let's go back to the lines 0891-104-208. Sviso in Pretoria, good morning. Hi, Sakina, how are you? Well, and you? No, I'm good. Uh, thanks for the topic. I think I want to. I want to come in somewhere from this academic and uh, and the workplace disconnect. Because to me, it looks like we have got these people sitting around within companies who are expecting the people to come in running 
with the specific skills that they need without contributing to this academic institute into coming up with the ways of training these people. So, Kinga, if we work on the high-end professions, the doctor goes to the hospitals for two years so that he can qualify and do his job. A lawyer, it takes about four years, accountant, three years, and all those things. Why would these other low-level or entry-level positions really be an expectation that when the person comes in, he will come in running and do that job? To me, it feels like companies don't know how to train these people. And they sit around and say, maybe the school is not doing well. Well, uh, thank you so much there, uh, Sfiso. Bohoti and Calvin. Uh, Sakina. Hi. Hello, can you hear me? We can hear you clearly. Yeah. Sakina, um, the, depriv- talking of deprivation, um, I, I'll just make a, a, a few examples. Um, my family, I, I, I'm uh, managing a very small, I, I mean, actually microscopic uh, trust fund, very, very tiny. And I'm helping uh, uh, students that are deserving, uh, who have been previously disadvantaged at the University of, uh, uh, Fall University of Technology. Um, uh, to date, I've got 26 that have graduated. Uh, I can quote four recently that are graduated. One of them, uh, uh, B-Tech uh, uh, Biotechnology. Uh, they are sitting at home with no jobs, okay? Internal auditor, electrical engineering. Those, uh, I won't go into details, but they are languishing at home with qualifications. Now, where is the problem? The problem, Sakina, is that we compromised so much some of the policies that were set by the ANC at CODESA were compromised. For instance, the one of the policies was to, after 1994, to uplift blacks from deprivation. That was compromised because jobs are not there. Jobs are not there because one of the conditions was that South Africa should be a mineral exporting country. Now, when you export your minerals, you, do, you cannot create jobs. Instead of manufacturing jobs and exporting, you export your mineral resources, and after that, you buy them from overseas countries. You do not create jobs for these children that are graduating within the country. That is where the problem is. And until we address the situation of creating jobs and go back to the policies that the ANC had adopted before 1994, deprivation will remain the main problem that we are faced with. We are reaping the consequences now. Thank you, Sakina. Thank you, Bukhosi. Uh, Kifilwe in Santon, good morning. Hi, morning, Sakina. Unfortunately, I think your program is a little muddled up, but I want to speak to the professor. Uh, my son goes to a private school. When he was in grade nine, I paid twice for him to get career guidance. The other one, it was online. There about 2,000 rand. The other one, it was face-to-face. One thing that is not there in this country is career guidance. And I want to address the professor as well, because he keeps on talking about career guidance, and I think he's, he's got his finger, his pulse on the, on the problem. You walk around, the children who've done home-based care, their parents have paid close to 12000 because government does not know where are the requirements. You, 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 parents pay, they go to Machonisa, to get money to educate them. But there is no organogram or whatever where government knows that, no, these are the skills that we need. Let's, let's, let's. Government should not be taking out tenders. Children should be doing plastering, plumbing, electricians, whatever. But they don't, they don't have that. So there is no knowledge that knows where are the gaps. But also I want to say something. Go to all the restaurants. Mugabe is creating a problem for our children. Your spears, your ocean basket, your whatever, you go there, 
they employ Zimbabweans. So that's the second point. But the other third point is that our children are choosy. They don't want to work in a restaurant. I've just gotten a young boy. You know, I was actually amazed. I mean, her highest mark is 43. My children, when they get 60, they cry. His highest mark is 43%. But I said, he's intelligent. Something is wrong in the education system. Grossly wrong because I've taken him, I sit with him in meetings. He knows all my, 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 my secrets because he's prepared to learn. But everything, every time I say, but why is it that your highest mark is 43%? When my 15-year-old, my when he gets 60%, he cries. So there is a lot wrong in the education system. Okay. Professor, career guidance is a serious problem in this country. Thank you so much, uh, Kifilwe. Let's go to uh, Bizana in the Eastern Cape. Good morning, Zwai. Uh, good morning, good morning. We are speaking to Spamanda. Welcome, you know? Spamanda. Yes, yes. Um, we have a problem here in Bizana. There are so many children who pass metric here, but they don't have money to go to varsities, to, to school. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how do yeah, you, so what do you think the solution could be? Yeah, the solution could be maybe the, the municipality, I don't know how to help them, but uh, we don't have money, we live in rural areas there. Okay, um, the issue in um, uh, Bizana Spamandla talking about uh, again access access to uh, money to resources, um, uh, scuppering yes. uh, you know further education there. Thank you so much, Spamandla. Nicholas in Pretoria. Hi, good morning, Shakina. Welcome. I'd like to to also greet the uh, Professor Mary Lebron who supervised me my PhD. Thank you. Uh, I have two quick points to make. Uh, first is the role of the family, and second, the role of the policymakers in complementing the institution of educational provision. Uh, most of the children that we are talking about here who are in deprivation, if you look at their family background, they are mostly coming also from broken homes. And therefore, the basic, first of all, they are, they are out of the, 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 the childhood development programs, and the basic skills that they needed from the family background are also not present. So they miss out on that, and when they go to school, their family background also affects their performance in school and the rest of their progression. Second is that of policy. A lot is said about what the private sector can do to, do, uh, to come on board. But I want to say that the private sector in any economy is not there to create jobs. Their incentive is not to create jobs. It's to make profit. It is the policymakers to look at the mismatch in the economy, uh, the structures of the economy, and the plan going forward, industrial policy going forward to say, this is the direction we want to go to. What skills do we require in order to bring this economy to where we need to take the economy to? And in my view, the government has to identify the mismatch and proactively bring the parties on board rather than waiting for uh, a business to jump up and say, oh, we want to forget about profit-making and rather create jobs and, and, and build students. So this is quickly the two things I want to uh, contribute, but not forget to strengthen the educational system itself because I don't think it is delivering as it should, especially the public education. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Nicholas, Lisa is in Durban. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning to you. Um, there's two issues that I want to speak about. Firstly, Definitely, I agree with the professor that we need quality education. It's not just about access to education. And that certainly 20 years after democracy, we still haven't had uh, a leveling of the playing fields where the highly resourced school, schools are still in urban areas and are accessible to very, very few people. So once we get that right, qualified educators that go into schools and give us quality education, it's going to go some way in addressing some of the barriers we have in terms of socioeconomic deprivation, etc. Also to bring back the feeding scheme, I think, to roll that out, because some children are only getting one meal a day and one can't learn if you're learning on an empty stomach. But the other issue that I also wanted to address is the issue of education to persons with disability. And I think that that is a real sad reality 
that a lot of our special needs schools, um, what they call resource schools now, are just acting as baby care facilities and are not giving quality education to children and, and learners with disability. I mean, if you look at the past three years in terms of matriculation, you're only getting on average about 800 of those thousands of matriculants each year actually qualifying with the matriculation, which gives you, you know, the sad reality that there is real uh, a scarcity of quality education for persons with disabilities. Lisa, thank you so much for that input. And let me read through uh, some of the messages. Fox and Caesar says, teach people about money, not about life sciences and life orientations. The, that's irrelevant. Uh, this is the information age. And then Vukilet Dwati says, the language and technological barriers that first-year students coming from ill-developed urban and government and rural schools uh, is a big challenge. Uh, Odysseus says, in my high school days, career orientation class was for homework. Our teacher was an ex-military soldier with no clue. Um, and then a few others as well on the SMS line. Cleric uh, Paseko Makoti says, uh, since the youth is just a segment of our abandoned society, we need a consultative national policy review commission. This one says, ethics, morals and time Listen to what Mandela told you. Another one unsigned. Leaders, parents want youth to create jobs for themselves, but it's difficult to access small-scale mining licenses and easy to be a Zama-Zama. The ANC must fall, so says Tato. And then Bob in Goog says Zuma and his jet must fall, and that will solve the problem of deprivation. KL says if state can allow every poor citizen to mine one kilogram of gold, we can all be millionaires and grants will be no more, and we need no parents uh, on top but strong leaders. And uh, then Anthony Teaching skills must take precedence over subjects and testing memory that is less relevant in the digital age. Low average IQ has to be raised for progress in South Africa, says that unsigned one. Another one says, I've been privileged to read a book called Education and Messages to Young People by Ellen G. White. Good books to guide our young people and parents. And then Eddie from Wurdendalsrus, he says, let's give our youth heritage uh, that they will use forever, and that's education. And that's why I'm supporting 100%. The hashtag freeze must fall. Another one says, Boy Scouts and Girl Guides have a comprehensive program used worldwide. Skills and leadership from an early age would go a long way to equipping the youth. And then from the Facebook page, uh, Spooky Mlangeni says, where did the youth project Umsombomvu go? Uh, it was a good initiative. Nonetheless, the youth, need, uh, youth needs good value systems. Many are demotivated. They are distraught. They are directionless. And I feel that's our point of departure. Hence, you can take the horse to the river. Can't exactly make a drink. Nontlanta Mkize says delivery um, uh, and uh, deliver what was promised to us. That's what needs to happen. And Murare Wamatlazi says the corruption and empty promises kills the youth's morals and potential. Oh, a mouthful there, Prof. Uh, So maybe you'd like to respond to some of what was said. Well, we certainly got a a menu that that illustrates why the, the gauge calls for a comprehensive approach because all the callers are, are listing from their own experience mm. uh, w- constraints that they've encountered. They're in rural areas. They don't have money to, to exercise tertiary options, uh, etc. Um, you asked about whether the child support grant should be extended um, further beyond 18. Um, well, if you think about the child support grant as conceptualized, it's given to the caregiver to protect the child. Now, uh, that's its purpose, and it does it really well. If you think about it like that, that's not really what youth are asking for at the, at the moment in which they on this transition between school and the broader life, including the labor market. Um, they are asking for support to make that transition. Uh, and money is part of that, and we see that the evidence is that the old age pensions even are very, very important in, in funding uh, migration or funding job search, etc. Uh, but what government needs to do uh, is, um, is complicated because good transport systems, for example, are crucial to youth at that age. Um, good 
accessible health systems. Um, maybe a, a, an, a job subsidy, a money that's explicitly given to youth to facilitate their job search rather than a, a um, child support grant. Mm. It needs to be tailored to the youth. The youth are articulate. They, t- they, they are clear. They're even happy to prioritize. They what know they what need. they want, contrary yes. to popular and belief. Yes, and so maybe, you know, we need to work with that. You know, the points about the broader economic structure and the need to create jobs are completely on board. And I, I guess what we're arguing for here is, um, is if we accept that the youth are our country in the making and uh, we view job creation through that lens and our industrial policy, one of the callers was even talking about that, as the priority being to give young South Africans a chance to be productive, to exercise their productivity, to to earn, to have the dignity of work. Um, It changes the way we think about things. It's all hands on deck, and then we can look past a little bit, you know, it's just the labor regulation system. Well, it's not. It's complicated, but if if we're fixed on the goal, there's something for everybody to, to contribute. And I think to support that, uh, Yusuf Ali Tukulu says um, uh, we, n- we really need a student support grant, but we shouldn't quite stop the child support grant just as yet, talking about you know young people knowing what it is that they need. And then uh, just very briefly, Ariane, if you could just wrap up for us. I think one of the one of the big things that stands out of this entire discussion is that, it, as as uh, Professor Libran points out, it needs to be a comprehensive approach, but it also needs to be an approach that has someone within our government circles or, or one institute, one agency holding the responsibility for this. It, it, this is a complicated question because it sits across so many different um, areas of life mm. and therefore across many different departments of government. So we have the Department of Basic Education, Higher Education, Health, and so on. And there has been, it, it isn't as if things haven't been implemented or things haven't been thought through it. It has been a very fragmented approach to youth development. And that doesn't help the call, the, the, the actual um, call to action and the actual implementation of these things. So what is what is really needed, what would be needed, is a, is a central coordinating body that can hold other departments really accountable uh, and that keeps the oversight as to what is going on so that the connections are created between these different sections. Well, and uh, that's where we unfortunately have to leave it, but uh, really great input there and um, a lot for us to think about as a country in terms of what a needs to happen, what the youth needs. Half of our population made up of people under the age of 25. So we better start listening to them sooner rather than later. Uh, Professor Murray Liebrandt and uh, Ariane Delanoy, thanks for your time this morning. And thanks to our listeners for your fantastic input. It's uh, just after nine and Gregory Ho standing by with the news.